This is Restart Hope with Pastor Joel Sicker on FM 94.1 The Voice. I know you cannot say amen to that because probably the one that you're blaming is sitting beside you. (laughs) Okay, so just wiggle your toes. Blame does not bring blessing. Blame does not bring blessing. In fact, as I unpack this, um, I think God wants to bring a breakthrough in this area in many of our lives because believers oftentimes are the most bitter people. I'm speaking out of experience because I walked through that. Because we have an arrogance. We have an arrogance of demanding from the church, of demanding from the pastors, of demanding from other believers. We set people in a higher standard. And like we saw earlier, people are fickle. People will change. And what happens when God begins to bring change, you find someone around you to begin to blame. When you're disappointed, it shows that there's something that is wrong in your life. When you're disappointed about something, it shows that you had an expectation that was, not unf- that was not fulfilled. There's something wrong. And the way we take out that disappointment is by assigning blame onto someone else or something else, and sometimes even on yourself. And this does not help in your restoration. You see, if you're bleeding, you don't call the police. You call the doctor. <clears throat> if you're hurt, you don't immediately call the police to find out who caused you the hurt, to investigate and to put the person in prison. Instead, you call the doctor to heal you first, and then maybe you'll go to figure out what's right and who did it and who caused it and who was at fault and who switched lanes and who's the Asian driving the car, right? (laughs) But you would first go take care of your hurt, of your wound. But oftentimes when God begins to shift you and change you and sift you and put you in the furnace, what we do is we find someone to blame. Instead of first trying to find healing and trying to find meaning in God, what are you walking me through? But blame does not bring blessing. It only brings bitterness. Look at Job chapter 30 verse 1. It says, but now they laugh at me. (laughs) Men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to see with the dogs of my flock. Dear God, Job, come on. So far we've been like, Job, good job. Job, great. And now what he's doing, see this is what's happening, okay? And I've said this in the past too. Job is so low that he's finding someone around him that he can pull as low as he is so he can feel like he's standing tall. But I've said this before. When you pull someone down so you can feel like you stand tall, you don't stand tall. It only shows you how low you are. And what Job is doing is he's beginning to blame these young men around him. I'm saying, look at these guys. They're spitting at me. They're making songs about me. They're using vulgar words against me. Man, their fathers, I wouldn't let their fathers run with my sheepdogs. I wouldn't trust them around my sheepdogs. And then he says... What could I gain from the strength of their hands? Men whose vigor is gone. These young men, you think they, they think they're strong? Their vigor is gone. I'm not going to gain anything from them. Uh, through want and, and hard hunger, they gnaw the dry, the dry ground by night in waste and desolation. They pick salt wood, that's salty herbs, and the leaves of bushes, and the roots of the broom tree for their food. He's insulting the young men. He's insulting their fathers. He's insulting their strengths. He's insulting their abilities. He's insulting their poverty. He's insulting their zeal. Look at this. They're driven out from human company. They shout after them as a thief. What Job is doing is he's looking for someone to tear down so he can stand tall. And in his change, he's unable to comprehend that God is actually doing it because God wants a real relationship and not a stale one. Instead, he's looking at the people around him that he can blame. And then he says, all this is because God has gone a little too far this time. You ever felt that way when God, I know you love me, and I know you want to discipline me, but you've taken it a little too far this time. You need to know your limits, God. Come on. And that's what Job is. He says, uh, chapter 30, verse 11, because God has loosened my cord. 
and humbled me. I told you earlier to remember that verse in chapter 29, verse 20, my glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. That was his hope. But he says, but the reality is God has loosened my cord. My bow doesn't have a cord anymore. And because of that, they've cast off restraint in my presence. These young people, these people that used to respect me, now I'm just a bow that is useless. I cannot save anybody. I cannot feed anybody. I cannot provide for anybody. I cannot bring comfort for anybody. And so they've set me aside. And not just that, I'm just, used, I'm just taking up space now. <clears throat> Verse 19 in chapter 30 says, God has cast me into the mire and I've become like dust and ashes. Sorrow in this time is understandable, isn't it? It's understandable when you're going through such hard times. Sorrow is understandable, but watch out for blame. Sorrow is understandable, but watch out for blame. When you're going through a hard time, church, when you're going through a tough time, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, relationships falling apart, financial crisis, it's okay to be sorrowful, but watch out for blame. Because blame, if it goes unchecked, will quickly turn to bitterness. And what bitterness does, listen to me carefully now, what bitterness does is it makes you an accuser. And there's one person in the Bible who's called an accuser and his name is Satan. Satan. And Satan is constantly looking for you to accuse God. When God is bringing about change for you to get past right, to get to real, Satan will cause you to begin to blame and turn your blame to bitterness, and turn your bitterness into accusation, and make you more like him, and then turn you to start accusing God. God, you're the one that's, tough, that, that's causing me to go through the mire. You have broken my cord string. You have abandoned me. You have not watched over me. You stopped talking to me. You have left me. When God's word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes. <laughs> Watch out, because blame can seem like such a simple, small thing. This week, as you're talking, and you begin to blame someone, I pray that the Holy Spirit will stop you in your tracks. If you're struggling with blame, I want to help you because this week I've been really struggling with this and asking God to teach me so I can apply this in my life. I want to help you understand this if you're struggling with blame. You see, blame puts the person that you're blaming in power that they don't need to be in. Blame will put the person in authority that they're not supposed to be in. Because if you believe that you are struggling because of this person and this person has caused this to you, only this person then, you're saying... Even if you don't believe it, you're saying this person is the only person that can take me out of the suffering that I'm in. This person brought me here, now only this person can help me. Relationships when your boyfriend cheats on you, when you know, your husband leaves you, whatever. Watch out for blame. Instead, go to God and say, God, you're changing out what was right. Take me to what's real and watch out for blame because blame will quickly turn to bitterness. Bitterness turns to accusation and accusation will turn you against God. And then you put this person in a place of authority that you are not supposed to put them in because you're waiting for them to come back to get you out of the spot. I'll give you an illustration of this, okay? In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road and there's a blind man who was born blind. You remember that? I've used this before just a couple of weeks ago. A man who was born blind. It's a beautiful passage because it works as an illustration for so many different things. It says in John chapter 9 verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, look at this, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What is their business? What is their problem? You see, what they were holding on to was something that was right. Sin causes suffering. That was their right. Okay, pay attention. This is a good illustration of what I'm trying to say. 
what was right for them was he's blind and therefore he sinned, just like Job's friends, right? You're suffering, you must, be, you must have sinned. And they ask, whose sin was it that caused him to be born blind? His sin or his parents' sin? Now, I was thinking about it from the blind man's perspective. If he said, man, I could not have sinned when I was in the womb to be born blind, so it definitely must have been my parents, and he's sitting on the side of the street all his life, assigning authority and power to his parents to get him out of the fix that he's in, thinking that it's because of the sin of my parents, I'm born blind, but the parents, sadly, cannot pull him out of his blindness. They have no power to be able to open his eyes. And he's stuck in this rut of blame, he's stuck in the rut of bitterness, and he's stuck in the rut of accusation. And the disciples, because that's, that's what they know, that's what they're taught, that's what was they right, and they say, who sinned? God, we have rocks in our hand, so to speak, who should we throw it at? Him or his parents? And Jesus would say, drop the rock. I love this. Jesus says, it's not his sin or his parents' sin. But it's to show you that I'm a God who restores. Ooh. It's to show you that I'm a God who restores. It's to show you that the glory of God is able to open this man's eyes and to heal sin and to heal sickness and to open the eyes of the blind and to forgive sins and to cause the dead to be, to be raised. I'm a God who restores. It's not his sin or his parents sin. Jesus is going there and showing them, hey, I want, you to, I want you to go past what you believed was right and to get to what is real. I want you to go past assigning blame because now you're becoming an accuser and that's what Satan does. You see, it's so subtle. Can you imagine? These were the disciples. Who sinned? But he was born blind. It seems like a simple question, but that's how Satan likes to work. He turns you into an accuser. He turns simple blame into bitterness and into accusation. And Jesus points to them and says, no, it's for the glory of God. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I wonder if the shaking and the sifting that God's walking you through and the change that God's walking you through is to show you that he's a God who restores, is to show the glory of God in your life because that's exactly what's happening in the book of Job. Job is going through change. Job is going through sifting. Job is going through the furnace so that God can show his glory. Even thousands of years later, in a little church called the Living Church, Boise, that's located in Meridian. <laughs> If you're in a season of change and it's challenging you, do not grow bitter because of blame. Right now, I want you to think of the people that you've been blaming. I want to talk to those of you that are old and you're still blaming your parents even though they're dead. They still have power and authority over you because you think the words they said, they have to come and take it back or somebody else has to come and speak against it and someone has to remove you from that and Jesus is here to set you free and to restore you. Stop assigning blame to people and giving them power. Let it go. Thank God that he's put you in a season of change because he shows you how much he loves you. He's sick and tired of your stale relationship that you have with him and he wants it to be real. He wants you to have a pulse when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. So if you're walking through a season of change and it is challenging you or you're walking through hard times and you're tempted to assign blame and you've already grown bitter, look to Jesus. I'm going to bring this to a close. Don't just look to him. More importantly, look at the covenant that he has with you. Look at the covenant. This is a very important word, covenant, because the cure is in the covenant, number three. Number one, we said change will challenge what's real. I said blame does not bring blessing. It only brings bitterness. But the cure is in the covenant. <clears throat> when you're unable to make sense of a situation, okay, so change, things are being sifted. You're like, everything was going fine, what happened? When you're unable to make sense of a situation, you begin to find answers that aren't really there. They say a theologian, this is funny, okay, so get ready to laugh. They say a theologian 
is a guy who's sitting in a dark room looking for a black cat that does not exist. But he finds it. Okay? <laughs> that's a theologian, okay? And sometimes we, we deal with our life that way. You try to find answers that's not there. Why did this happen? Why should that happen? Sometimes there's no answers to that, man. And you sit all your life and you're trying to ponder why. You're a thinker and you go for a hike, you go for a walk, you go from pillar to post to become a Buddhist, you shave your head, you grow your hair, you get dreadlocks and you get tattoos. And, and finally, what do you do? To find intellectual closure, you come up with an answer. You find the black cat in the dark room that doesn't exist. You find intellectual closure. In fact, that, that's uh, something I was reading up on this week. Intellectual closure is, is what we've been walking through as a country, especially in the world. We're unable to find answers to why, and so what do we do? We make up a scenario, we make up a story, and we find the answer. And we say, this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. And then you lie so much that you actually begin to believe your lies. And then you begin to sell your lies. You write a book about your lies. You know? And then you cause other people to believe your lies. Intellectual closure. What happens when you're going through suffering, we're going to see with Job, he's trying to find intellectual closure. That's actually what's happening in this whole three chapters. He's thinking about his past. He says, man, it was so great. And he's trying to find intellectual closure. Some of you are going through pain, and you're thinking about the past, and it's not brought closure. You're thinking about, you know, the, the future hope that you had. It's not bringing intellectual closure. And so what does he do? He blames. It doesn't bring intellectual closure. And finally, I love it. This is why I respect Job. And I think this is why even heaven was talking about Job and hell was talking about Job because Job comes back to the covenant. And the covenant, we find not only intellectual closure, we also find spiritual closure. We find, you know, closure in your physical world, in the, in the realm of the physical world and what's happening. You find closure in the covenant that we have with God. Job comes back and reminds himself of the covenant that he's made with God. He says in chapter 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? He's saying, listen, I made a covenant to be pure before God. I made a covenant to live a righteous and a holy life. I mean, he was a guy who sacrificed. He was a guy that was upright, pure at heart. You remember all of that stuff? He, he, he made a covenant with God, and he's reminding himself of his covenant. Isn't this beautiful, believers, that change can be really hard? It's easy for us to go into blame, turn blame into bitterness, but isn't it beautiful to watch a man like Job who's suffering go back to reminding himself of the covenant that he has with God? Or say, I made a covenant. I remember. I made a covenant with God that I would not look and lust after a person. What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? A covenant, by the way, is a treaty. It's an agreement between two parties. A pledge, a binding oath, and a promise. It says, I made a binding oath with the Almighty living God. That's all the time we have for today, but we would like to hear from you. Our address is P.O. Box 2014, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. You can also listen to this message and more on the Living Church Boise app, available in your app store. 